So I want you to think about, um, think back over the last week and to, oh yeah, the kids, kids are going to head out, so um, if there's kids here today, um, Val and Linda are going to take the kids out now. Thank you guys. Uh, I want you to think back over the last week and to think about any conflicts that you might have had. Uh, any conflicts that you've been involved in in the last week. Uh, maybe you've had conflicts with children, either your own children or grandchildren or just random children <laughs> that you've come across. Um, I couldn't possibly remember all of the conflicts that I've had with my kids this past week. There's too many. But here's, here's one of them. You need to go to the toilet before you go to bed. But I went to the toilet before I had a shower. I don't care, you need, to have, you need to go to the toilet before you go to bed. But I don't need to. You might not feel like you need to, but you need to go and at least try. But I don't want to go to the toilet. Well, I'm telling you that you need to go to the toilet. But, no more buts, off you go to the toilet. But, look, if you say but one more time, there'll be no TV for you tomorrow. But, that's one. Fine, I'll go. Okay? Uh, trying to cover the identity of which child of mine that was. And in actual fact, one of the people this morning said that their arguments with their 21-year-olds still go something, <laughs> something like that. Um, hopefully not about going to the toilet, but um, I didn't inquire further. Maybe you've had a conflict at school or at work. Uh, I couldn't possibly remember all of the conflicts that I've had at work this past week. That was a joke. Um, it was an attempt, anyway. Um, but conflicts are inevitable in uh, schools, in workplaces, uh, and just because there's a conflict doesn't mean it's necessarily unhealthy. It could be a very healthy thing. Um, so this past week here at church, uh, we've been having internet problems. Our internet's been playing up, and after the fourth different Telstra technician came out and asked exactly the same questions again trying to uh, identify the source of the problem. Let, uh, let me tell you that our frustration uh, grew and the potential for conflict was definitely on the agenda. What about conflict in church? Uh, so we're working on a vision together as a church at the moment and last Monday uh, the vision team from church met together uh, and I can tell you that there were disagreements in the room. Now I hope you're happy about that, because it means that there were different opinions being expressed. It wasn't sort of groupthink where everyone thought exactly the same way, but people were putting forward different viewpoints. It was passionate. Uh, it was healthy. It was a good thing that we were having discussions and some dif disagreements uh, about that. But sometimes uh, conflict in churches isn't healthy. They're not resolved satisfactorily, and they can cause great hurt and pain. And maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you've experienced hurt through conflicts in church, in this church, or in some other church that you've been part of. Conflict is very much a part, an unavoidable part, of everyday life. This is my recipe for creating conflict, okay? This is how guaranteed way to get conflict. What you need is uh, two or more people... Okay, and you get them, and you put them together, um, and then you wait. That's it. All right. Guaranteed that if enough time passes, you'll get a conflict. Uh, 
Now, later on, I'm going to dig a bit deeper as to why this is the case, that that will happen. But for now, let me just assert this, that where there are humans together, there will be conflict. Uh, So, as Robin uh, introduced, this term we're doing a series called Peacemakers. And in this series, we want to deal with the reality of conflict that exists in our lives. But we really want to focus on what the Bible teaches about dealing with conflict. Dealing with conflict in ways that are healthy, which are godly, which seek to demonstrate the good news of Jesus um, through our actions, through the way we behave in the midst of conflict. Um, Seeking to look at how the Bible puts a really high premium on peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. The Bible is on about peace and about healthy relationships between people. Now, the fact that I'm talking about conflict and I'm saying that we're going to spend a whole term talking about conflict in church might be impacting you in different ways. Uh, Some people hate conflict. And so the fact that we're going to even talk about this is kind of maybe your heartbeat is going up already. You'd rather avoid any conflict. You'd rather avoid talking about conflict. And your natural response to conflict is to run. Run away fast. Um, And so if you're in a meeting where there is a disagreement, even if it's healthy and respectful disagreement, um, you start to feel very uncomfortable. Okay, that could be you. There's other people, of course, who love a good bit of conflict. Um, Good, solid debate, competition... Uh, you're the sort of people who love to fight and to win when it comes to an argument. And the thing is, we're all different, okay? We've got different personalities, we've grown up in different family situations, uh, and that can be positive or negative. We can be, you know, in reaction against what we've experienced or because of the way we've seen things done. Uh, And I want to say that it is possible to be unhealthy in both directions when it comes to conflict, okay? So we can be avoiding conflict in unhealthy ways, and we can be too combative in conflict, you know, wanting to fight too much. Both of them are possible to actually do conflict badly. And what we want to do is look at what does the Bible teach us about doing conflict well? What is the pattern of Jesus as people who are seeking to follow him about what doing conflict well looks like? So here's the problem, though, right? We all know that we've got heaps of conflict in our lives. Our lives are full of conflict in all sorts of areas. But when you turn to the Bible, right, all of the people in the Bible are so nice, uh, so godly, so proper, that it just doesn't match up, does it, with the conflict in our lives? I'm hoping I'm seeing shaking heads here because, you know, if you've read the Bible, you know that it is just raw honesty in the Bible, and it, is, uh, it gives a warts and all approach to life, right? Focusing on the warts most of the time. All of the people that you come across in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus, are flawed, and they fail just like we do. Uh, I was doing a brainstorm this week, trying to think about what are all of the different areas of conflict that we might experience... Okay, and can I think of an example from the Bible for each of them? And I didn't even have to go looking in the Bible. I could do it off the top of my head. Here's, here's my list, and maybe during Q&A, you might be able to come up with an area that I've missed and see if Robin can come up with the biblical example um, to go with it. Okay? But here, here's my list. 
international conflicts? Yep. There's wars all through the Bible where different nations are fighting against other nations. Nation of Israel, for example, fighting against the Philistines. There's international conflict aplenty. Marital conflict? Yep, that's there. Uh, An example is uh, Isaac, who's married to Rebecca, and they favour different sons in the family, and so Rebecca tricks her husband into giving the blessing to Jacob, who's the younger son, over Esau, who's the older son. Family conflicts? Yes. In our children's holiday program, Going Bananas, we did the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, so much so that they sold him as a slave because they hated him so much. Um, By the way, I'm still in the first book of the Bible so far. I've just got these out of Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible. I'm going to jump out to another book now. Work conflicts. Uh, There's an example where Paul and Barnabas, two leaders in the early church, are heading off on a missionary journey together. One of them wants to take Mark uh, with them. The other one thinks that's a bad idea. They have a fight about it. And in the end, they split and form two separate teams because they can't uh, work it through as to what they should do. School conflict. Yes. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, and his friends have to take a stand about what they will and won't eat as they are studying and being trained in Babylon. Political conflict. Uh, King Herod and Pilate, um, who are having an argument with each other about uh, who is responsible for Jesus at his trial. Neither of them wants to deal with it, so they're trying to shift jurisdictions. He's your responsibility. No, he's your responsibility. Jesus is like a political football between these two political leaders. Church conflicts, yes. Uh, In the book of Acts, in the early days of the church, uh, there's a group of widows, the Greek widows, who feel like they're being neglected and all the food's being given to the Jewish widows, and it's a conflict existing in the church, and there needs to be a way of solving that sort of conflict. Um, Have I missed any areas? Think about it, text it in. Um, But the point is, in pretty much every area of life you can think of, actually, someone mentioned me this morning, road rage. Um... I think I've got an answer for that one, not involving cars, of course, Um, but in pretty much every area that you might think about conflict, the Bible deals with it, shows it, demonstrates that it's a real part of life and is honest about it, doesn't try and gloss over the fact that conflict exists, it's there, it's real, you and I experience conflict and the Bible doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist. Now, it's worth highlighting that in terms of conflict and the church. Okay, so I've already given a biblical example or two of conflicts that we see in the Bible in terms of the church context. But the church has a pretty funny relationship with conflict, and there's some interesting dynamics that are going on there. Uh, Tim Dyer, who's an Australian minister whose job is dealing with conflict uh, in churches, so he's the guy who gets sent into churches when there's big conflicts, when things go pear-shaped, He's kind of the mediator who is sent in to deal with things. Uh, He's probably dealt with more church conflicts than any other person in Australia, poor man. Uh, And he says that there's two main dynamics that take place when it comes to the church and conflict. Uh, The first thing he says is that the church is the most, in his opinion, the most conflict-prone organisation in the world. The most conflict-prone organisation in the world. That is... Uh, the place that you would most expect conflict to be found. Now, what do you think about that 
Um, if you're new or visiting to church, you might think, hey, what's, what's the deal with this? Um, why might the church be very prone to conflict? Well, because it brings together so many different people, um, different ages of people with different preferences, different habits, coming from different backgrounds, different uh, types of work and life experience. In fact, the only thing that people in the church have in common is the fact that we're wanting to follow Jesus. Um, But other than that, uh, people are very different to each other. There's no criteria for goodness or godliness when you join the church. Uh, Sometimes people think that what the church is, is that the church is a bunch of good people who get together to try and be even better. That's not the church. What the church is, is a bunch of sinful people who recognise that we're not perfect, we're not good, and that we need God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, coming together to celebrate that we do have forgiveness in Jesus and trying to live our lives better as we follow Jesus together. That's what church is. Uh, A few years ago, I was working at a different church, and there was a lady in the church uh, and her husband who didn't go to church, and they invited this guy that she'd met at church to house sit for them. Okay, they didn't ask me about it. They didn't ask me as the minister what I thought of that idea. They just went ahead, teed it up, gave him the key, flew out of the country. When they came back, he had drunk every single drop of alcohol in their house, including some very, very, very expensive bottles of wine that they had been storing in their cellar for a long, long time. And he trashed the place. Uh, He was a recovering alcoholic, and they just put him right in the path of temptation. But what I remember is the husband angrily saying to me, what sort of standard of people do you have in your church? And I said, well, there's no standard. Um, We don't screen people at the door um, to see whether they can come in. Um, I was tempted to say, in fact, you'd be very welcome. Um, I didn't. It wasn't the right place. Um, Would have led to a really bad conflict if I had said that. Um, But there's there's no standard for coming into church. It's really just the recognition, if anything, that we're not perfect, that we need help, we need forgiveness. Uh, If you are visiting with us today and you're thinking, I'm not good enough for church... Um, you'll fit right in. You'll fit right in with the rest of us. Because all of us are here not because we're good. We're here because God offers to forgive us in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and promises to change us so that we can be more like Jesus. Uh, So because of this diversity, because we're not perfect, because we acknowledge that we're not perfect, every single one in church is a recovering sinaholic of some type or another. Conflict in the church shouldn't shock us and it shouldn't surprise us. And another reason that uh, the church is pretty conflict-prone is we're dealing with serious stuff. We're dealing with spiritual matters, parts of life that are really important. And so, you know, people can hold to their positions pretty strongly because it's about God, it's about spirituality, it's about our lives and our our purpose, which can lead to uh, conflicts happening in church. So conflict-prone, that's the first dynamic about the church. Uh, Some of you might feel uncomfortable with that, that people might be mumbling into their beards 
at the moment. Well, that's not true. That's, you know. um, here's Tim Dyer's second dynamic on conflict in the church. As well as being the most conflict-prone organisation in the world, he says we're also the most conflict-averse organisation in the world. That is, we are most likely to deny that conflict exists and to pretend that it doesn't happen. Right? We're most likely to sweep it under the carpet, suppress it, get it out of the way so that no one can see it without dealing with it. Now, that can be sinister. Right? Think about uh, child sexual abuse that has happened in the church, where because the church wasn't willing to face it honestly, to admit that there was a problem, to admit that evil was happening in the midst of the church, they tried to suppress it, they tried to hide it so that no one could see, so that it wasn't really happening. It was appalling treatment of victims in the church. So it can be sinister, but it can be milder too. You know, like, I'm really annoyed with that person because of the way they've spoken to me. But it's, it's not really Christian to have an argument with them or to confront them about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ignore it. Actually, I'm going to ignore them, and I'm just going to silently fume away to myself for a decade. Now, you kind of laugh, don't you? But it's nervous laughter because it happens. It happens. Uh, We sort of think, oh, church, it's supposed to be this unified, loving place. So we think if there is conflict, then that's, that's an indictment against us as Christians. And so we pretend that it's not there, even though it is. Now, it's a bit like... um, meeting with couples, uh, preparing them for marriage, okay? Uh, I often talk with couples about, you know, what are some of the things that we need to cover in our pre-marriage counselling? And I'm really pleased to say that almost all of the time they say, we'd love to talk about conflict. Can we talk about conflict? Um, And that's great. That's healthy because it shows that they acknowledge that there is conflict, that it's there in their relationship, that it's not going to magically go away when they get married, that they they want to keep talking about it and think about strategies for dealing with it. Okay, It's healthy that there's an acknowledgement that conflict exists. But occasionally, and you will have seen this amongst your friends, um, you have these couples and they say, oh, we never fight, oh, we never have arguments, conflict just isn't a problem for us, right? Alarm bells, because they're not being realistic, right? And they're heading for trouble. And churches that pretend that conflict isn't a problem for us aren't being realistic. They're not being biblical, because the Bible's so honest about the existence of conflict, and they're heading for trouble. And what tends to happen is that you kind of ignore, ignore conflict, hide it, pretend it's not there, suppress it, suppress it, until it can't be contained any longer, and then you get a massive blow-up, which is really hard to deal with and resolve, where you have to get someone like Tim Dyer in to deal with it. It's much better if you're actually acknowledging conflict and dealing with it in the early stages rather than trying to pretend that it's not there. So at the same time, churches are conflict-prone. We should admit that uh, and not be embarrassed to say it. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything about it and don't deal with a problem properly but we need to be honest that there will be conflict. Um, And at the same time, we can be averse to conflict. We need to identify that in our own church communities, in our own lives, um, and bring it to the surface if we need to deal with it. 
So our Bible passage today from James chapter 4, and if you've got your Bibles there, can you please um, grab them out, page 979. Um, This Bible passage, this short reading that we had from James 4, is really helpful for understanding what conflict is and where it comes from. So why is it that if you've got two human beings together, that conflict will arise uh, given enough time? Well, James diagnoses the problem as stemming from our desires. This is what he says in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So the word James uses here for desires uh, is a Greek word, hedonair, right? It's it's where we get the word hedonism from, okay? Hedonism is, is the pursuit of pleasure, if we're seeking after pleasure, right? And so what he's saying is that we have these desires within each one of us where we're seeking after good things for ourselves, Okay, we're seeking after pleasure or the good, what will be best uh, for us. Uh, so, you know, I want a house because it'll mean that I'll be secure and safe. It'll be a good place to live. Um, you know, I, I desire that food because it looks nice, it looks tasty, it'll, it'll make me happy uh, if I eat it. Right? And this is, these are not bad things. He's saying that the reality as humans is we, we have these desires within us. It's, it's normal as humans to have desires for things that are good and to seek after them. But then what happens when you add in another human being and they've also got desires for what is good for them? That's when the problem comes. Okay, Because I might want something and someone else might want something, but there might not be enough of it for both of us so that we can both have it and have enough of what we want. Or it could be that uh, our desires are different. So I want something, this other person wants something different, but the trouble is we have to agree on what we're going to go after together because we're married, okay? And we have to agree on the thing that we're going to do. Or we're part of a church community and what I want and what they want is different, but we need to agree on the direction that we're going together. Okay, We're trying to form a vision as a church. We've got hundreds of different people with different desires and things that they might want to go after. We've got to find agreement on the things that we as a church will do and won't do because we can't do it all. Or you might have the situation where you've got two people and their desires are lined up, actually, but they don't realise it. You think this other person... (laughs) has different desires and different purposes to you, but you miscommunicate with each other uh, and you think that they're not lined up with you. That can happen as well. It could just be a communication problem. But whatever the reason, the desires that you have are frustrated by another person or by circumstances. That's what James says in verse 2 there. He says, you desire but do not have. You covet, that is, uh, you want something that someone else has, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So conflict stems from the the frustration of our desires. I want something, but I can't get it. I want something, but you've got it. I want something, but you want something different to me. I want something, but you won't let me have it. Um, Now, as I was reading uh, from verse 2 there, I left the ending out in both of those sentences. I left out, 
the consequences of frustrated desire. And this is how James finishes those sentences. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. He's using serious language here. He's speaking about killing. And some people read this and they say, James is over the top here, right? He's exaggerating what he's saying. But that's the natural progression of conflict that he's talking about here. Uh, Just look at the wars that are happening around the world. Look at the violence that happens in our own city. Look at the violence that happens in our families often. The frustration of desires, the need to have the means that it leads to arguments and fights, and it even leads to killing if we do not get what we want. This is a masterful insight, incisive James here diagnosing where conflict stems from. What he does is he gets a scalpel and he cuts into the human person right to the heart. Your heart and my heart. And he says that's where the source of the problem lies. It's there in the desires within us. So if you want to come up with a a good definition of what conflict is, uh, I haven't defined it so far. That might be frustrating Some of you, what do you mean when you're talking about conflict? Here's my definition of conflict. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Okay, that pretty much sums up what James is saying here. It's a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Uh, That definition shows you why conflict isn't necessarily bad. It might not be a bad thing, okay? Uh, It can be healthy as we deal with different opinions and purposes, right? You've got a different opinion to me. You've got a different purpose to me. Um, We can acknowledge that we're both frustrated, that we can't come to agreement, but we can try and chart the way through together in acknowledgement of the disagreement and the frustration. Uh, But that also shows you how conflict can turn bad very quickly because we can selfishly hold on to our personal desires at the expense of another person or other people, and we can say, I need to get what I want, what I desire, no matter what, no matter what the cost. I don't care about the other person. I'm going to have what I want. You can think of it like a fire, okay? So in a fire, you might have a spark, just just a little thing that sort of starts. Um, That's like the, the, the disagreement or the difference that you might have. Um, you know, people, you and I are different to each other. Um, we might want different things. That's the little spark. Right? It's not much, but, but something sort of starts a disagreement. But then you pour petrol on that uh, spark. Um, that is, you know, the differences get worse because of selfishness, because of pride, which drives the way that we, we react and we treat each other amidst this disagreement. And then you get a fire that results, which is destructive um, because we fail to respond properly. We allow our sinful desires to continue to drive a wedge between us and other people. And that's when people get burnt. And you've been burnt, and I've been burnt, and we've all burnt other people as well. Um, Now, that's all pretty negative, you might be saying, I came here tonight for a, an upbeat sermon. I wanted encouragement and I want an inspiration 
Tim, what are you doing? Uh, where's the solution? Well, the solution comes in the rest of the series. Actually, the entire rest of the series is about the solution to this problem. But the thing is, you can't start treating a medical condition until you acknowledge that there's a problem, can you? And until you start diagnosing where the problem lies. Uh, and that's what James is doing here. He's saying that the source of the problem is not out there with all these other people who are problems. Uh, no, the source of the problem actually is in here. It's in the heart of each one of us. It stems from our desires. And the solution is not just going to be a Band-Aid solution. It actually requires some major heart surgery for all of us. But James uh, does flag here where the solution will be found. So at the end of verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. So a solution to conflict isn't going to exist independently of God. It's going to require turning to God and including him in the equation and actually having our desires shaped by God and allowing him to satisfy our desires. And in verse 3, James says that even when we do ask God, often our motives are not right. So the solution is also going to mean that we're going to have to examine our own lives, our own hearts in deep, deep ways. We're going to have to plumb the depths of who we are as people, looking at our motives, which are slippery, slippery things. Even when we've got good motives, often there's a mixture there with other things uh, mixed in. Uh, we're going to have to plumb the depths of our hearts and our lives and what's really going on within us uh, and asking God's spirit to soak deeply into our whole selves and do a work of transformation. This is, this is not a preaching series that I hope you enjoy. I don't want this to be the sort of series uh, where people after the service go, uh, nice, nice sermon, Tim. Um, I, I don't want it to be nice and interesting and intellectually stimulating. What I hope for this series is that it transforms us. That's my goal. Um, I hope that it will transform me, and I'm praying that it will. I'm hoping it will transform you, and I'm praying that it will. And I'm hoping that it will transform the way we do church together, how we work as a community in the midst of conflict, and I'm praying that it will do that too. Uh, because this is an area where we need to do serious business with God. We need to acknowledge that conflict is real, that it's present in our lives and in our church, and we need the deep, deep work of the Holy Spirit to reveal our sinful desires and to transform us in this area to be more like Jesus. But can I say what a great opportunity I think this is? Um, if we take this seriously, if we take God's word seriously, and elsewhere... Uh, in his letter, James says, I don't want you to be people who just hear God's word. I want you to be people who do it. I want you to be doers of the word. If we take God's word seriously, this could be a liberating thing for us as individuals and as a church. It can be liberating, liberating us from styles of conflict that we've just inherited because of the families we've grown up in uh, and we just use reactively without thinking about it. It could be liberating because it could liberate us from conflicts that we've been involved in for years without resolving. It could be liberating because it could liberate us from bitterness 
that exists in our hearts from past conflicts that aren't sort of ongoing but have never really been resolved. Maybe a seeking after revenge in the deepness of our hearts or a, a deep, deep sadness that exists because of broken relationships we've been part of in the past. Uh, if we believe that living Jesus' way really is the best, that he's got our best interests at heart, that he has the best way to live, and if we're willing to take seriously what he's saying to us and put it into practice, this is a wonderful opportunity for our lives to be transformed, for us to be freed in serious areas uh, in our life. So I'm going to invite the band uh, to come back up again, uh, and as they do so, uh, let me pray for us. Lord God, uh, thank you that your word is honest, that it doesn't try and hide the truth and pretty things up for us, but it gives us the cold, hard facts about ourselves and our world. Uh, Help us to be honest in our own lives where conflict exists. Uh, And we ask now that you would uh, pour out your Holy Spirit on us as individuals and as a church that you would be seeking to transform us, to change us in deep ways, to identify in our own hearts uh, what it is that we are desiring that often leads to the conflicts that exist. Uh, And we ask for a powerful work of transformation uh, for us individually and as a church. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.